A part of our experience in humanity is that we will have hard times. We will have times where we may cry all night, where we may call out to God, where we experience a deep grief, a deep loss, a deep pain. We know that Jesus Christ himself experienced this kind of pain, not as a punishment for sin, but as just the weight of the human experience. Welcome back, my friends, to How to Study the Bible. This is Nicole Yunus, and I am your coach, your pastor, your fellow journeyer together as we are journeying through the Psalms. This is a series called Love Psalms, and we're working through five different ways that we can express ourselves to God that are uh, given to us through the Psalms. And today we're going to talk about the, the plea of the Psalms the component in psalms of lament, of grief, of sadness, of confusion. Um, I think oftentimes in our modern day, perhaps particularly in American Christianity, there's this sense that we need to keep our chin up and that we need to show on the outside that we love God and that our life is good because of God. And my friends, that is not (laughs) exactly what's expressed in the psalms. So if you are in a season of discouragement, if you're in a season that feels like God is distant, then I want to invite you in to this moment, to Psalm 6. And if, if you're not in that season, if that isn't the way that your life has been, or if you've never experienced a season like that, I do want you to know that there are godly people, there are believers, there are righteous people all around the world who go through difficult, dark seasons. And that is a part of our expression of humanity in God, and we are invited into that. So we're going to look at Psalm 6 today. I'm going to read it for you. We're going to follow the Alive method the same way that we do each and every week. So this first question is, what does it say? And remember, with Psalms, we're looking for repetition. We're looking for imagery. We're looking for parallelism. So parallelism is when one line builds on the next, and that line might be two things that contrast each other. It might be a line that echoes the next, or it might be a thought that completes the thought before it. Okay, so I'm going to read through Psalm 6, and I want to invite you to listen closely, to take some notes in what you're hearing from this psalm. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you when he is dead. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. So when we hear this psalm, we hear the depths of the human experience. And for anyone who has ever experienced a deep grief, whether it's because you've lost someone that you love, or you've lost something that has been precious to you, you've gone through a season of life where loss has been a part of that experience, then you probably can relate 
to this line right in the middle of the psalm. I'm worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and I drench my couch with tears and my eyes grow weak with sorrow. This deep sense of finding that bottom of the human experience, just being completely emptied out because of a deep grief, because of a a longing that we lost something so precious to us or something has failed so miserably or we have suffered so deeply because of enemies, whether that enemy is something that may attack us on the inside like cancer or an enemy is some, some way that someone has turned against us or is opposing us, or an enemy is even this moment that we hear at the beginning of the psalm where um, the psalmist David is actually responding because of being punished for his sin, that he actually is experiencing punishment for his sin, no matter whether it's something we brought upon ourselves or it's something that has come to us. I think what we're invited into right now is recognizing that part of our experience in humanity is grief and suffering and difficulty. And this, if this wasn't important, if this wasn't a part of the full, remember we said last week, the full orbed experience of godliness, if this wasn't a part of it, it wouldn't be in here. If we could enter into a Christianity that didn't involve suffering or pain, this wouldn't be in here. And so there's a part of what we're experiencing together that's just allowing this to be true. It says in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We don't get to not have trouble just because we are in Christ. We still exist in humanity. And you know what? Jesus, sinless, perfect, all man, all God, had trouble in the earth. And we are going to have trouble. We are going to have suffering. And I believe that this kind of psalm and the other psalms like it, Psalm 51 is a psalm like this one. There are several psalms that are in this category. Um, You may see it in Psalm 8, Psalm 12, Psalm 46. There's all of these psalms that represent this um, appeal. Psalm 6 is a psalm like Psalm 51. You also find this kind of psalm, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 102, Psalm 130. We have all of these expressions in the psalms of these times of real severe suffering, of real struggle, and of appealing to God for his mercy. One of my favorite uh, definitions of mercy is God's affection set on relieving our affliction. And we see the psalmist who, even though he knows that he has brought upon some of this himself, he is still able to appeal to God's mercy. He says, God, please don't rebuke me. Do not discipline me. Would you be merciful to me? Would you heal me? So when we look at this and we're in this section of the Alive Method, what does it say? We're looking at the imagery and also the invitation that we find in this psalm, the invitation to the fullness of our human experience, that if we are up all night crying, If we feel completely empty, we do not have to be apart from God in that experience. That actually, in that grief, we can call out to God and ask Him to bring us mercy, even if we have brought that grief upon ourselves. It is the work of darkness, it is the work of the enemy for you to believe that if you have sinned, if you have brought something upon yourself, you are not qualified to call out to God. This psalm says, yes, you are. That even in the midst of David's punishment for his own sin, he is able to ask God for mercy. He is appealing to God for mercy. I would actually say he's bargaining 
with God for mercy. Here's where the bargain is. In Psalm 6, when he says, uh, verse 5, no one remembers you when he's dead who praises you from the grave. He's actually saying, God, restore my life so I can praise you because I want to bring you glory and I can't bring you glory if I'm dead. So you need to restore me so that I can be a person who actually praises you. You're going to find in the Psalms when you spend time in the Psalms, there's all this bargaining, this this human, honest bargaining, bargaining with God, calling out to God for his character, calling to God to bargain with him. Hey, give me back these things. Give me back my life. Restore me so that I can praise you. Now, this is an expression of the way that I think God invites us into a personal relationship with him, that he invites us into the very human reality of the ways that we can strive and struggle with him, with the things that we want, that we can be honest with our expression with God. And this is really an invitation to do so. So what does it say? Well, it tells us that we're invited into the whole human experience, that's for sure. And you probably have questions like I do when you go through this first round of what does it say? Does God punish us for our sin is a good question. Um, how do we handle it when God doesn't seem to come to our aid might be another question that you have. And I want to address one of those in part two, our question two, what's the backstory? So in this backstory of does God punish us for our sin, because it sure seems like in this psalm there is punishment, right? I mean, that seems like right at the beginning, and we see it in our text note that David is being punished for um, sin that he has committed. And so I was asking myself, is this only true for the Old Testament? Is this also true for the New Testament? And in the in the New Testament, I wanted to draw your attention to one passage that I think helps us understand that there is punishment. There can be punishment for our sin here on earth. It's found in 1 Thessalonians 4. And this is kind of instructions for godly living. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Thessalonica. And he's saying this, uh, starting in verse 3, it's God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. So in the context of this First Thessalonians passage, this is about believers in the church. This is about brothers and sisters in the church who would sin against one another. And there's a clear command, God will punish you for that sin. So the wages of sin, we know from Romans that the wages of sin are death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we are no longer bound by sin that leads to death like David was in this psalm. But we are going to experience the consequences of sin here on this earth. Grace means that the punishment of our sin is removed, that the penalty of our sin is removed. Grace means that we can have right standing with God, that our eternal uh, soul is secure because of grace. But grace does not mean that if we go on sinning, we will not experience natural consequences for our sin. 
that if we go on sinning, that there isn't punishment and consequences, because there is. God's design for life is for human flourishing. The kind of laws that God gives us, the rules, the, 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 the principles that we are led by through the New Testament, through the teachings of Jesus, actually lead us to a life of flourishing and of goodness. So therefore, when we do not live that life, we can expect that there are consequences for living a life outside of that goodness. We can also expect that within that goodness, as we live into God's way, there's also suffering there. There's there's suffering everywhere. So a part of our experience in humanity is that we will have hard times. We will have times where we may cry all night, where we may call out to God, where we experience a deep grief, a deep loss, a deep pain. We know that Jesus Christ himself experienced this kind of pain, not as a punishment for sin, but as just the weight of of the human experience. His friends betrayed him. People didn't understand him. People left him. He knew what it felt like to experience the human existence that requires us to call out in mercy to our God. So how do we handle it when God doesn't seem to come to our aid? I think first we handle it with honesty. We actually come to him with the full range of our emotions. We express how we really feel and how we are really doing. It is safe to do so with God. If nothing else, Psalm 6 tells us it is safe to express the fullness of your human experience with God. The very, very center of this chapter is at the beginning of verse 6. It is the thematic line of the entire chapter, and it says, I am worn out from groaning. If you have ever felt worn out from groaning, from your experience, from something that is heavy and burdensome and wrong in your life, you can take comfort in this psalm. Because the beautiful thing about this, as we talked about last week, is this is not where the psalm stops, does it? The psalm actually turns into a quite confident hope. We see in verse 8, away from me, all who do evil, the Lord has heard me. The Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayers. My enemies will be ashamed and disgraced. They will turn back. There is a sense that even in the midst of the suffering, we have this confident hope in who God is. The reason we started last week on a place of a posture is because we're posturing ourselves to believe that God is the supreme authority. He will do what he says he will do. Therefore, we can cry out to him. We can plead with him. We can be honest with him. We can even, I would say, go as far as bargaining with him. God, I want to be a person who declares your praise. I, I can't declare your praise if I die. I need to be alive to do so, just like David does in this psalm. We are invited to handle times where it feels like God is far with honesty and with integrity to our experience, yeah? Finally, what does it mean for us? What does it mean? What are the principles that we can pull from this passage? Quickly, I believe the first one is that God hears our cries. God hears us when we cry. It says in Scripture that we can believe. In Psalm 6, it says we can believe that God has heard us, that he hears our cries for his mercy. The second thing it means is that we can enter into honesty with God. We are invited to enter into honesty, but we do so with a posture 
toward his supreme authority. And this is something that I think we often miss. We think that maybe it just means I can just complain. I can just moan and groan and stay in my self-pity. I can wallow in this place and God accepts me just as I am. There is a part of that that is true. But what we see in the psalm is that there is a mindset that always returns to God as our source of confident hope, to God as the one who will show up, to God as the one who will change the story, so that the, the even if there's a complaint, it ends in hope. And I believe that when we also enter into that same way of experiencing God in conversation with God, where we are honest with Him, where we bring Him our plea, but we end in confident hope, something happens to our mindset we experience a stronger sense of faith. Perhaps we get just enough strength to make it through the day or through the hour that as we cry out to God for his mercy, he sustains us and he provides for us and he He sort of lifts us and we can have that confident hope that he will show up like that, just like David does in the psalm. Psalm 119, 132 says this, turn to me and have mercy on me as you always do to those who love your name. That is a 100% unconditional promise. Turn to me and have mercy on me, God, as you always do to those who love your name. As you enter into honesty with God, don't forget to love his name. As you enter into honesty with God, don't forget to posture yourself remembering that God is our confident hope. So what does this mean for me? Um, I have three questions to ask you in response to this plea, this psalm of pleading with God. Number one, do I need to repent? Is there something in my life that I need to turn from? Number two, do I need to have confidence even in my grief or sorrow? Number three, do I need to believe that God has heard my cry? Listen to this promise from Jeremiah thirty-one thirteen as we close today. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow, even if your sorrow is lasting for a night. I promise you, dear friend, joy does come in the morning. Amen. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to How to Study the Bible with Nicole Eunice, a production of LifeAudio.com and the Salem Web Network. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey and edited by Stephen Sanders. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help people find us. To learn more about Nicole, you can check out her website at NicoleEunice.com. Her book on how to study the Bible is called Help, My Bible is Alive. And you can find a link to that, plus a link to Nicole's site in today's show notes. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. 